Good morning. There we go. Welcome to Element City Church. My name's Kevin. I'm not Jack, for those of you that's maybe your first time, and I'm not Lyle. Um, <laughs> we're all distinctly, they don't have the beautiful haircut I have. So welcome. It's nice to have you. Um, for those of you who are here, we'd love to see you here. For those of you that are online, hey, we'd love to see you here soon. For those of you that were with us, there we go, thanks, um, and haven't come back, we miss you. You know, we're a family. And when we're incomplete, we're incomplete. So we hope that you'll come back soon. We hope that we'll see you soon so we can be once again complete. Um, we have an application on the phones. So for those of you that, that consider this a phone, you may not use it, but if you want to access giving, if you want to access the notes, um, see the, the, the videos during the week, it's available. Um, for those of you that are new, we have a 10-minute party in the back at the end of the service. Um, what I would tell you is if you show up, they'll give you some kettle corn. And as I understand it, it's supposed to be the best kettle corn south of the Grand Canyon. Now, if it's that good, I'd like to see the kettle corn north of the Grand Canyon. So somebody needs to bring us back. If you're online, please fill out the connection card. We've got wonderful hosts that care. If you need somebody to talk, if you need somebody to pray with, you know, we're a family. So let's enjoy being a family. Um, our church of the week is a place I know really well, Calvary Christian Fellowship. So Pastor Scott, his wife Pam, Bo, Sylvia, uh, Pastor Dave, you know, pray for them. We're going to pray for them here in a second. Um, I'd like you to pray for the worship band. Um, my challenge to you is this week, we have, some, we have two great pastors in this church. Pray for them. I'm sure it's challenging for them, just like it's challenging for us during the week. Um, so pray that God be faithful. We've got a marriage conference coming up in the next month. Marriages are sacred. Anybody who's been married, anybody that is married, know that it takes work. So I'd ask you to pray for those people. So let's go ahead and go before God in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our pastors here. We thank you for Lyle. We thank you for Jack. Lord, I pray that uh, as Lyle speaks tonight, that you would utilize him. Utilize him that uh, it wouldn't be his words, but it would be your words, Lord. Uh, we lift up Pastor Scott and we lift up Bo. And as they minister to their congregation, Lord, we're all on the same team. doesn't matter which church we go to as long as we get to see your face when we die. So be with us, Lord. Be with the Youth City worship team as they're here tonight. Um, help us to hear your words through their songs. Help us to just be touched, Lord. Help us to look around this week after we've spent this time in fellowship and to see you, to see you everywhere we look. Be with us, protect us, bless us, and help us to share you with the world. In your son's name, amen. Will you stand as we worship?
this out together. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. Find me 
You take with the enemy. 
Let's sing out together. Praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God. as we pray oh heavenly father thank you so much thank you for writing us into your story God, this is all about you this is all about what Jesus did on that cross father we are so grateful so thankful for all that you've done in our lives help us to hold fast to your truth to your word to your promises and to cling to that cross no matter what we may be facing in life you are there with us you never leave us you never forsake us we praise you for you are great and mighty to be praised thank you for the body thank you for this church thank you God that you're doing a good work pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear and receive all that you may have for us. Speak to us, we ask. Help us to be encouraged and empowered to leave here and to go share with others about the transformational work that you've done in our lives through the salvation that is found in Jesus. We submit to you, we surrender to you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. I just want to say thanks to Austin, to the U-City team for being here today, <laughs> giving our a team a week off. Uh, they did such a phenomenal job, and I'm, I'm standing back there just in that last song. just felt like a holy moment to be able to have multiple churches come together to sing um, under one roof and just to champion the name of Jesus. That's what we want to be about as a church. That's what we want to be known for. We want to be people who are known for our love and our passion for Jesus and our passion to spread his name, to spread his fame uh, in this city. So, uh, man, uh, so I'm Pastor Lyle. Uh, if you're new here, I'm one of the associate, well, I'm the associate pastor here. I'm the only one. Uh, and uh, it's great to have Jack back in town. He was away on vacation. I totally made a liar of myself. I apologize. I said he was in Louisville. He wasn't. He was in Omaha. So that's on me. That's on my integrity. I have to own that one. I'll take the hit. It's my fault. But they're back. Uh, we're glad that they're back. We're glad that he's here. Um, and we're just, man, it's a, it's a good day to gather together. My best friend's in the house from uh, California. I wish it was under better circumstances, but gosh, it's just like this is such a wonderful night for me uh, to see us gathered, and oh, I'm excited. So anyway, anyway, what we've been doing, we've been going through the book of Habakkuk this month, uh, and so we've got this study, we're calling it Sovereignty in Uncertainty. So we're in week three uh, of that. The first week we talked about doubt. We talked what does doubt look like from us, what does God do with that? And we saw God is... Uh, gracious. He receives our doubt. He doesn't judge us for the doubt. He doesn't uh, give us that smackdown that uh, Habakkuk was thinking that he was going to receive as he questioned God on some things. Uh, but instead, God showed up. God spoke in that void. 
And so this perplexed faith that Habakkuk had, God honored that and he spoke and he gave him insight and gave him ideas of what it was that God was actually doing. Last week, uh, we talked about evil. What does God do with evil and the fact that God takes care of it? He sees it, he doesn't ignore it. He's gonna step in, he will take care of it in his time. And that's the hard part, isn't it, for us, is just sometimes being patient, waiting for the Lord to do what he's going to do, when he's going to do it. But ultimately, where we kind of landed was in uh, Habakkuk 2.4, this wonderful verse, this verse that most of Scripture uh, just kind of hinges on. The righteous shall live by his faith. That's what we saw. And so when it comes to, to evil, let God take care of it. What's our responsibility? We look to how we live our lives and we make sure that we're bringing God glory as we do that. And so tonight, week three, we're looking at what does justice look like? Because God said, I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna bring justice for the people of Israel. Yes, I'm using an evil people, a group of people more evil uh, than the Israelites. And yet, uh, don't worry about it. I'm gonna take care of them. They're gonna get theirs too because they've wronged me. They've done wrong. I'm not overlooking that, but I have to use them as an instrument for my holiness to punish my people. And so what does that look like? What does justice really look like? We hear that phrase, uh, that term used a lot these days. And so I want to make sure that we have a good idea of what uh, God's justice looks like. We're going to be in Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 20 tonight. If you want to follow along, we've got the notes in the Bible app. Uh, We've also got the notes in the the Elements app you can get there. But first, it's time for the five-minute nerd out. So if you're new, the five-minute nerd out, this is just my part of the sermon where for five minutes, we're going to put our nerd hats on. And here's the thing. You make a joke, right? I made a joke several weeks ago about a little ditty. What happens? Micah throws that together, sends it to me a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, that's brilliant. Let's use it. It's fantastic. And then I've made this phrase. Let's put our nerd hats on for five minutes. And what happens? There's a group of folks who make the hat. I don't know if we can, for those of you who are at home uh, streaming, we've got the five-minute nerd out. So if you need a nerd hat we can put the physical nerd hat on. They've got them on in the back there, and it's fantastic. Who wants a hat, by the way? I've got a hat. I think I saw my, the first hand up here. Jules, this is for you, right there. She's got her own hat for the five-minute nerd out. I tell you, you make, you make a few jokes, and this church makes something happen. It's kind of crazy. And I, like I said, I've set the bar too low. I need to start joking. Man, a house or something, you know? So, so the five-minute nerd out, what's the point? The point, again, we need context. Context is everything. If we're going to accurately read God's scriptures and apply it to our lives, we need to have this context. And so we've spent a lot of time in our five-minute nerd outs uh, this whole month talking about the history of the Babylon uh, Empire, how the Babylonian Empire rose up and how they... Uh, kind of came into being and why Habakkuk was so afraid of them. We talked kind of about the kings in Israel and why they went into exile the way that they did. But tonight we're going to look at the fall of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, And so we're going to start our five-minute nerd out right now. So 587 BC, that's when the Babylonians, they've risen up, they've become a great empire. We talked about that last week. 587 is when they entered Jerusalem and they ransacked the city, they overtook it. Uh, before that, they were kind of living at peace. The, the kings in Israel were kind of paying homage, but then it got to a point where they said they weren't going to do that anymore. They rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. You've heard the name before. You've read the book of Daniel, I'm assuming. Nebuchadnezzar was not too pleased. So that's when he comes back. He takes over the city, and now the Israelites, they're being led into exile. They're taken to Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar II uh, was really in, crazy. In the 600s and the 500 BC, this guy reigned for 43 years. Not a lot of people even could live to be 43 years old at that point in time. 
He reigned. He was in charge of the Babylon Empire for 43 years until 562 B.C. And so this is when uh, Babylon really had its glory days. It was at its best uh, uh, time. And so he was wise in the sense that he married uh, the leader of the Medes. It was either his daughter or granddaughter. But he married uh, Amethyst. And so he solidified this pact between the Medes, the Persians, and the Babylonians so that they could kind of do their thing. Uh, without having to tread on each other's, uh, uh, or step on each other's toes. Uh, So after he died, though, in 562 B.C., uh, several rulers kind of came and went quickly within the uh, Babylonian Empire. They didn't do a very good job. And finally, this guy named Nabonidus, uh, he rises up, and he is able to seize power with the help of his uh, son, Belshazzar. Again, if you've read the book of Daniel, you might remember the name Belshazzar, uh, because he was another one of these famous leaders. So Nabonidus... He was all about the worship of the moon god. If you know anything about the Babylonian Empire, really who they worshipped was Marduk. Marduk was, I believe, the sun god. And so this guy also liked the moon god. I might have gotten that wrong. I see someone, but that's fine. So moon god, his name is, get this, Sin. Sin. That's ironic. If you're a Christian, you're like, <laughs> oh, Lord. Right? So moon god, Sin. Nabonidus is establishing these temples. He's setting them up. And uh, the Babylonians don't necessarily like it. They're not against it. But they're like, ah, we kind of like this Marduk dude better. And so uh, Nabonidus is more about getting this set up than he is about ruling. And that's kind of to his own detriment because he puts Belshazzar in charge thinking, oh, this guy will do fine. He's a great general. He leads the troops. The troops love Belshazzar. And it was true. They did. But as a political leader, he was terrible. Awful. Just like nobody respected him. They thought that he was weak uh, as a, a political leader. And so people didn't really care for Belshazzar the way that he led. He didn't really inspire confidence. So all the while, this is happening in Babylon. If we were to go east and we move over into Persia, there's a man named Cyrus the Great. And so Cyrus the Great, how many, man, that would be a great last name, right? If you could just be like, I'm Lyle the Great. (laughs) Wasn't born with the name. That's fine. Cyrus was. Cyrus the Great. So he kind of raises himself up. He's this wonderful general who's uh, just kind of taken all of this uh, land. And eventually he decides, I'm going to invade Babylon. And so what's crazy is when he invades Babylon, he's able to overthrow the city without having to fight a single battle. And so I mentioned the worship of the moon god. The people got so fed up with Belshazzar and his weak leadership. They got so fed up with this kind of change in uh, trying to worship these moon god, this moon god instead of who they normally worshipped. So when Cyrus the Great shows up, uh, the people are like, you can have the city. But what's also fascinating, Daniel 5. If you've ever been in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 5, it's the story of the handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar, he's throwing a feast. They're all hanging out. Uh, They're having a good time. They like to get uh, really tipsy, right? They let the wine flow like crazy. And so they wanted to celebrate their victories, their spoils. And so Belshazzar has them bring in all the temple instruments because they're going to drink out of this. And so they start drinking out of it. They're partying, having a great time. And all of a sudden, a hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. And everybody in the room sees this, just this big, giant hand. How freaked out would you be, by the way, if, like, I'm in the middle of talking and all of a sudden a hand just starts riding over here, go cats. Like, it would be wild, right? We would all be like, bear down, Lord. So, exactly, exactly. Except for Alan. He went to ASU, boo. But it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. This grace is available for everybody. So the hand writes on the wall and... Uh, 
they're, they're confused. They don't understand the language. They bring in Daniel. Daniel translates it, and Daniel tells them, uh, tonight is your night to die, Belshazzar. You're going to die. That's exactly what happens. So Belshazzar dies. Cyrus the Great's already encamped around the city. He just moves in. He takes it over. And here the Babylonian Empire, the mighty feared Babylonians, who overthrew the Assyrian Empire that reigned for 300 years in the ancient Near East. That's a big deal. They overthrew the most fearsome empire and became the most fearsome empire. And after 73 short years, they're off the scene. God came through with his justice. God came through with the promise that he made to Habakkuk on what he would do to bring justice to those who judged his own people. And so that's what we want to look at tonight. We want to look at justice, and we want to see why God loves justice. Uh, God desires to see justice upheld. It's part of his character that he is just. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Book of Revelation, it also tells us that one day when we get to heaven that we're going to worship God for his justice as well. Revelation 16.7 says this about the angels around the throne. It says, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. But what is God's justice? Again, we, we hear that phrase, that term used a lot. Maybe you've heard the word social justice that's used. And I'm here to say, I believe that there's only one type of justice. I believe that there's a biblical form of justice. And when this sort of justice is enacted, all things will work out the way that they were supposed to. And that's because we so often think that justice these days is about the outcome. Our expectation is if the outcome's good, that's justice. We got the decision we wanted, justice was meted. And what God's saying is not so fast. He's saying justice is not about the outcome. Justice is about the process. If you have integrity in the process, if you do the things that I say to do, and you have that integrity, as you go through the process, what's going to happen? What's going to be the result? What's going to be the outcome? A just outcome, right? God cares about justice. He loves justice. But justice is about process, not about outcome. That's important. Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 19 gives us this great passage. It kind of lays it out for us. It says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. And so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So what is God's justice? We're going to cover this real quick before we get into Habakkuk. I think there's four aspects to God's justice. This comes from Ali Beth Stuckey. Her podcast, Relatable, is a great talk uh, uh, kind of thing to listen to. She talks about this often, and I think she does a great job. God's justice, first and foremost, it's truthful. It's truthful. Biblical justice is truthful. It's based in fact and in evidence. Exodus 23, 1 through 3 says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So God's justice, first and foremost, most truthful. Secondly, God's justice is direct. It deals only with those directly involved. 
does not punish those who did nothing wrong. We see that in Deuteronomy 19, right? You have to have multiple people step forward to have this evidence. And if they present this evidence, then you can uh, go after somebody. Then you can take them to court. But if you don't have the evidence, right, then you don't do anything. But even still, if someone brings this false evidence, what do you do? You punish the person who brings the false evidence. There's a direct correlation, a direct response that happens to those uh, whom justice needs to be meted out for. Thirdly, God's justice is also proportional. What do we mean by that? We mean that the punishment fits the crime. All throughout Scripture, you know, we see many times as people sin, especially in the Old Testament, they had a system where they had to bring sacrifices to make atonement for their sins. And if you notice, when you read through, uh, trudge through, let's be honest, the book of Leviticus and trudge through the book of Numbers, as you read the laws and you read about the sacrifices, if you get caught with mold on the wall in your house, the punishment for not like doing anything about that, that's a thing, by the way, the punishment for that was not the same as if you killed a guy. That's obvious. That should be the case, right? So God's, uh, his, his justice is also proportional. The punishment fits the crime. And then lastly, uh, his justice is impartial. So we've got truthful, it's direct, it's proportional, it's impartial. It shows no favoritism whatsoever. We've already seen a couple passages that say that in case you weren't convinced. Deuteronomy 16, 19 says, you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Leviticus 19, 15 you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. We see this. God loves justice. God is all about justice. And so we want to understand uh, a little bit more about his justice and how he brought that about with the Babylonians. We saw that they fell. And so that's kind of where we left off last week. Habakkuk's spoken to God. He's asked God what's going on with the Babylonians. Why are you using them? And so God says, don't worry about them. I'll take care of them. The righteous shall live by his faith. You live by your faith. And so to Habakkuk, he just gets pumped about this. And so there's a kind of a shift in the book of Habakkuk uh, here. And that's where we get halfway through the book. We're going to see this shift now. And so his response to what God has said is two songs. And this first one, it's a taunt song. I say a taunt song. You're probably like, what's that? What's the words? We will, we will rock you, right? We're used to that. In a sporting event, you get folks singing like they're taunting the other team. Like you're trying to get that intimidation factor, you know? So here's Habakkuk, and he's celebrating God's justice. He's taunting the Babylonians. And so that's what we see in this section of Scripture. And so tonight's message, it's a little bit different. Uh, what we've been doing over this past month, just so you know, we're going to, again, I know it's the five-minute nerd out's over. Here's a nerdy term. Five-second nerd out. Is that okay? So... We've been expositorily going through a book. This is expository preaching. And what that means is that we're taking a, a passage in Scripture and we're going through it section by section. We're not necessarily going straight verse by verse. We're reading every one of those verses, but as we go through each section, we're finding meaning. And that's what expository preaching does. It's a form of teaching that details the meaning of a text or passage in Scripture and explains what the Bible means by what the Bible says. That's the goal. And so a lot of folks get kind of freaked out, let's be honest. When you get to the Old Testament, you get to the minor prophets, maybe some of the Old Testament law, it's like, how do I read that? How do I read that? What do I do with this? 
You know, you read something about mold on the wall and you're like, why does, what? God, why did you care about that? You know, it's weird. We don't always get it. And so what I'm hoping tonight is going to be is a, a night where we can see how do we take some resources that are readily available that will help us to best understand Scripture. So that when you come along to these passages, the expectation is not that you're reading it in a devotional mindset. You know, like so often we get the verse of the day and we're like, oh, that's good. God, let me just pray this verse of the day to you. And then we go on our merry day and we don't think about it at all. We have to get out of an overly devotional mindset when we read the Bible. We have to learn how to actually study Scripture to see what it says and to draw out the principles. That's how we're going to live the righteous life. That's how we can live that life by faith because we'll understand what it is God is actually asking us to do. That's what allows us to be obedient to him, right? So that's the goal tonight. So what we'll see in Habakkuk, this is a, it's a little bit of a longer section. There's five parts to it to this taunt song, five verses, if you will. And each one of these sections starts, uh, in most translations of Scripture, it says, woe to him, or woe, like these, these five woes. That's what we want to look at tonight, the five woes in Habakkuk. But really the translation is more like, ha! Have you ever done that, right? You taunt something like, ha! You know, like that's what happens when Alan and I were watching a U of A ASU football game a while ago. We haven't beat them in a while. But like we would win and be like, ha! ASU sucks, right? Like that's when we like want to taunt him. And that's Habakkuk. He's ha! He's bringing in this, you guys are going down. He's stoked, right? So you'll kind of see that he's a little bit stoked. I want you to get stoked. How about that? That's why I've got so much energy tonight. Let me get some water. Hold on. Dry mouth. Exactly. He's stoked too. He's stoked too. So how do we learn all these things, right? We've talked a lot about context. How, how do you think I learned that? How do you learn anything these days? Say it louder. Internet, Google, right? I Googled it. That's it. You want to know how I learned about the fall of the Babylonians? I Googled it. I read about it. You know, like if you want to get background on a book and get that context, you Google it. And so let's do this. I don't have my phone on me. I left it down there. But I want everyone to take their phone out, which means I want to see movement. Everyone take your phone out. Got your phone ready. I want you to open your web browser, and I want you to Google Dr. Constable Bible Notes. Very simple. I want to see heads down and typing, everybody. Dr. Constable Bible Notes. You're welcome. This is a free commentary series. Let me tell you, Jack's got a pretty great library. I'm slowly trying to build up a library. There's great commentaries and things that are out there that you can get that will help you understand the scriptures as you read it. But there's a free resource that's available to all of you. This guy was a Bible professor for 40-plus years at Dallas Theological Seminary. And what's cool is while Jack may have some awesome commentaries, and while I might have a few awesome commentaries, what Dr. Constable has done is he's had 40 years to read all of the commentaries on all of the books of the Bible. And then he kind of gets to pull out the best comments from all of that. And so this is such a great resource that if you're ever wanting to read scripture, use this link. Read this. You will get background information. You might get to a verse and you're like, what in the world? He's literally got a verse-by-verse breakdown that you can kind of scroll through. And I promise you, as you get familiar with that, you're going to be blessed by it. And so that's kind of where I pulled these, uh, these judgments. Why is judgment coming uh, against the Babylonians? Habakkuk calls out five different areas. So let's start. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. We go now. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? 
then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of, the, of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So these violent Babylonians, they steal what's not theirs. They're using their ill-gotten gains to establish their empire. And so God says, uh, and Habakkuk celebrating the fact, God's bringing judgment for exploitation. That's what happened there, for exploitation. They took what wasn't their own, their own stuff. They started loading people up with all this work to do these things. Uh, they used them uh, to build up all of their spoil. The Babylonians exploited all the nations that were around them. And that's what was piling up their judgment. And so Habakkuk, he takes comfort knowing that the Babylonians are going to be plundered. And that they're going to be plundered in the same way. Remember, God's punishment, it's proportional. The same thing that happened to the Israelites is going to happen to the Babylonians. That's what he's saying here. And so you might be looking at this and say, cool, great. So what principles can we draw from this portion of the text? What can we do to find something that matters to us today? Because I don't know about you, I haven't ransacked a city lately. No? No one's overthrown and toppled an entire government? Shocker, right? That's not our sin. That's just not the things that we've done. And so sometimes we read scripture and we're like, well, how does that apply to me today? Here's what you do. What principles are being talked about here that we can withdraw from here, that we can apply to ourselves today? Business owners. How many business owners do we have in the room? Got a few who've run a business do you take care of your employees? Right? How easy is it to exploit the labor of other people and take advantage of people who are working for you? Do you pay them a livable wage? Do you pay them a salary that's competitive? Do you give good benefits? Right? Those are simple things. It might hurt you a little bit on the bottom line, but as a Christian, are you willing to say, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit for myself because I want to make sure that these folks are taken care of? I don't want to exploit the labor that I have. God's blessed me to steward this business, and so I need to be a good steward of the people that God has entrusted me to lead. Or here's one that might hit a little closer to home. How well do you tip your server? I didn't get this until I had friends who were waiters and waitresses that they don't even make minimum wage a lot of times. Like, they're not actually paid that. It's this, the tips that they receive from people that get them over the hump to where they make sure that they make minimum wage. And I get it. I've had bad service before. We've all had bad service. Can we just agree? It's not fun. It's so frustrating. And yet that person has already done the work for you. And just because you didn't like the work well enough, if you especially left them nothing, they've already worked for you. That's called exploitation, folks. I'm sorry. This person doesn't even make minimum wage, and they're reliant on that. As Christians, we have to be generous enough to understand that we've got to still at least leave something. And I've made the commitment myself, and this doesn't have to be you. This is between you and God. I'm going to give 20% no matter what. Even if they did such a terrible job, when they do a terrible job, I just ask them, man, it must have been a rough night, huh? Are you guys busy? More often than not, it's not that the person's like, hey, I want to be terrible at my job today. But in a post-COVID society, we've got to be honest, a lot of businesses are hurting. They're struggling to get the employees that they need. Almost everywhere that I've gone, there's been longer wait times. You all have experienced the same thing. You understand, we've got to be generous people uh, who, who bring light into the places that we go. And I tell you what, Sunday mornings, they know who's coming from church. Sunday nights, they can tell when we go out as a group that we've come from church. 
when we don't tip them, what message are we sending the world about who we are as Christians? We cannot exploit people just because we didn't like what we got. That's what happens in life. We've got to be people of grace, people of mercy. That's a simple way that we can choose to do that. Second thing we see here is judgment for self-exaltation. Verses 9 through 11 say this, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, and you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. So the Babylonians, they were taking things. They were building up this giant kind of pile of wealth. They wanted to exalt themselves, lift themselves up on high, get to a place where they're not relying on anyone or anything but good old themselves, right? Like good old me. That sounds very American, doesn't it? Let's be honest. I've worked hard. I've saved up. I've done all of these things. And yet, uh, gosh, we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the principle here? Am I just building up a huge pile of wealth so I don't have to rely on anyone other than me? It's like the, the book of Proverbs, towards the end of Proverbs. He says, make me uh, just rich enough that I'm never poor and have to steal and defame you, God. But never give me so much uh, that I get to the point where I think that I've done it on my own and think that I don't need you any longer. Maybe it's not just about the pile of wealth that the Babylonians built up. Maybe for us, here's another principle. Uh, what about my attitude? Do I see myself as better than others all the time? Have I exalted my own work and everything that I've done to the point where everyone can see what a great person I am, what a great worker I am, right? That's what we have to do in the business environment. It's a hard tension, isn't it? That we do have to draw attention sometimes to ourselves and we have to let people see the work that we're doing. But are we doing it in such a way that we're putting others down in order to elevate ourselves? That's the question. Am I quick to put others down in order to get ahead of them? We don't need to belabor all these. Judgment for oppression, that's the third uh, area where Habakkuk is taunting the Babylonians. He says this in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? I love this verse. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's beautiful. So you've got this statement of judgment for oppression, and then all of a sudden you get to this verse at the end. What do you do with that in Scripture? That's where the commentary comes in handy. Because there's a shift in language, right? We want to understand the shift in language. Why is it there? Why has all of this been this taunt where he's calling out the Babylonians and saying, these are the things that you've done, and you're going to get it. And God's going to give it to you, and it's going to be awesome for us to watch it. And then all of a sudden he's saying this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord Right? So that's where a commentary helps to give you that understanding, why that shift took place. Um, it's kind of stupid, but I, I think about myself. I think about the number of times that I taunt the TV screen, you know, like something good happens and I did nothing to make that happen. So like maybe Aiton goes up for a dunk over the Bucks, and I'm just like, yes, you know, and I'm just like ready to taunt the Bucks, like eat it, you know. I didn't do anything. That's in essence what Habakkuk's doing here, though. That's what's going on. That's why the shift takes place. It's a little bit more of a godly shift, let's be honest, because that's a beautiful verse and it's better than, I hate the bucks, right? Like it's, it's pretty good here. But uh, what he's doing so, how much more so beautiful is this, that here's Habakkuk 
that he's talking about this oppression. He's talking about the things that the Babylonians have done to draw attention to themselves and the things that he's done. And he's saying, guess what? When you go down, the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. They're going to see God's work in action. And God's going to get even more glory because of it. He's stoked about that. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's why the shift is there. I love this from the New Bible Commentary. It says, uh, verse 14 places the future hope in the context of the end times. Knowledge of God, an intimate experiential relationship with him will bathe the entire earth. The outward visibility of God's awesome power, his glory will be perceptible not only to the oppressing Assyrians and Babylonians, but to all of creation. That's beautiful. That's wonderful, right? So good. And yet as we read that, what's the principle? We can see this principle that God's going to get the glory. But when it comes to oppression, what do we do? Again, it's not like this is always our sin where it's like, I've oppressed an entire people group lately. You know, I did this. I ransacked the city, took all those folks, and I was mean to them. It was great. They built the pyramids for me, right? Again, that's not your sin. I understand that's not our sin tonight. But oppression, definition of it says this, it's prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control. And so we've got some business leaders who are in here, but how many of you are, are managers or shift leaders or you have somebody who reports to you? Does anybody have a direct report in the room? Right? Now we start to get where most of us have experienced this. Here's some questions. Have you ever treated a subordinate unjustly? Have you ever just been mean to them or cruel to them? Regardless, regardless of whether they deserved it or not, but just because they did something wrong or they upset you or they said the wrong thing at the wrong time and six months later you've not forgotten it. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we call ourselves Christians, that means that we have to treat every person that we interact with as if we're interacting with Jesus Christ himself. Francis Chan said that. Why do we do that? Because we believe that everybody is made in the image of God, that the Imago Dei lives within every single person. And so every single human being is worthy of value, of dignity, and of respect. And there's things that we can do that belittle that and diminish that in other people. That's what oppression looks like. When I'm mean to a person simply because of a belief they hold or because of something, as a follower of Jesus, I'm told to do what? To forgive and to love. God's the judge. God's the one who enacts that. We have to be people who choose to honor God and choose to be quick to offer and extend grace and mercy to people. How about this? What kind of culture or workplace environment do you create by the way that you treat people? That's not just for the people who are in leadership. If you show up to a job, guess what? You're part of that culture. What kind of culture are you creating simply by showing up? Are you the type of person that when you walk into the room, people are excited to be with you? They're excited to see that you're there today. And they're like, man, my day's going to be better because I get to work with this person. Or are they just like, oh, gosh. Right? I tell you what, if you're a person uh, who does have leadership within your organization, you want to know what this looks like, ask your employees. And you're going to see a lot in their response. Because if they're real quick to talk to you, whether they give you praise or criticism, if they're quick to talk to you, they respect you. 
And they understand, even if they bring the criticism, that you're not going to just berate them and belittle them and come down on them for that. They see that you value them, that you value their opinions, and so they're willing to share them. But if you get a bunch of ums and ahs and, well, uh, let me get back to you on that, spoiler alert, they probably don't trust you, which means at some point you've probably come across as oppressive to them. And guess what? Sometimes we hide this phrase oppressive as what? As authoritarian. Oh, just authoritative. I just have to be authoritative with them. There's a way to be authoritative without being oppressive. There's a way to make sure that you set good standards and you can hold people accountable to set standards. That's okay. People need that. We need that to be our best. We need to be challenged, right? But when I'm prolonging this cruel treatment on somebody simply because they're not doing whatever it is that I think that they need to be doing, we're starting to get close to a line here that God's saying, be careful. And so you have to pray. You have to seek the Lord. What do you do in that situation? I don't know. They can be complicated. Let's be honest. They can be complicated. But sometimes the loving thing to do is to release somebody because they're not the right fit. So if you're one of the business owners here, hear me. I'm not saying, like, hey, you need to bend over backwards for all your employees and be a walkover. No, like, no, not at all. But sometimes it's, it's freeing to release somebody and to help them find a job that's a better fit for them. And I've had some bosses that I've seen do a great job of that in the past when somebody just wasn't kind of meeting the standards that was set. And you know what? Those folks who left, they left amicably. The relationship was good because they saw that this person cared enough to try to help them in that. It was wonderful. And so what else do we see? We see this uh, in 15 through 17. We see judgment for perversion. Ooh, big word, right? Perversion. We know where this is going. Habakkuk 2, 15 through 17. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. The cup in the Lord's hand, that's God's wrath is what he's saying. The wrath of God is going to come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. The Babylonians, they made a mockery of people. As this suggests, it was, they would get people drunk, and then they would lead them out, they would have them expose their nakedness, and they just would laugh at people. That's perverted, right? Here's the question. How do we draw application here for ourselves? Do you take pleasure in the shame or the pain of others? How's your thought life? Guys, this is a battle that if you're under a certain age, like this is just a battle that we fight constantly, isn't it? And we talk about pornography, the perversion of that. And how easy it is to fall into something like that. And the crazy thing is, is the statistics show us it's not just men who struggle with this anymore. Uh, two out of every three women at some point have generally, uh, under a certain age, have been exposed and are regularly viewing pornography these days. There's an addiction that's been uh, fueled in this society. And uh, gosh, we need to find freedom from that. You want to see people who are exploited and taken advantage of? Gosh, that's an industry where that's happening all the time. And yet in our own perversion, as we're consuming this material, it's destroying ourselves. 
It's diminishing and demeaning the image of God in somebody else. Or if you're married, have you been faithful to your spouse? If you're not married, are you practicing sexual purity in your own life? These are heavy questions. It's tough sometimes when you start applying scripture and you realize, oh, this applies pretty heavily, doesn't it? And so in our last thing, we see judgment for idolatry. Verses 18 through 20 says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Think about the ridiculousness of crying out to inanimate objects. Uh, like if we had like a thing of chicken wings, right? If you go get chicken wings, you've got your plate where you always throw the wings out. What if I sat here tonight and I was like, we're going to resurrect chickens, everybody. And I'm just like, Lord, please come down in these bones and we want to resurrect these chicks. You would think I was absolutely insane and you would all walk out. And you should. Like that's ridiculous, Right? And yet what Habakkuk's saying is this is such a ridiculous thing that we take these inanimate objects. I'll make fun of myself. I love soccer. Manchester United's my team. My wife says she has to close the window sometimes because I'm yelling at referees or I'm yelling at players. And I'm just sitting here like, ref, come on, that's a foul, right? We've all done it. Who, those of us who love sports, we just shout at the TV. Like that's what we do. And is the referee going to change his call? Is it going to be like, oh, sorry, Pastor Lyle, we'll get that one right next time. We'll do better. You know, like that doesn't happen. And yet I scream at my television sometimes. Like that's what I'm expecting. It's ridiculous. And Habakkuk is saying, you guys have built these things yourselves and you're crying out to it like, speak to me, talk to me, give me wisdom. And he's saying they're breathless. They have nothing to give you, nothing to offer you. And for us... How do we apply these principles here? Where do you place your loyalties? Is the Lord at the top? Is he on the throne on which he belongs? How about this? What are you trusting to give you your purpose? Are you finding your purpose in work? Are you finding your purpose in relationships? Maybe we could put it in a better way. What are you taking your identity from? Because if we call ourselves Christians, we're supposed to identify ourselves only in Jesus Christ himself and in who he says that we are. Anything else, folks, it's an idol. It's something that we're placing in the position that only God was meant to take himself. So often we get caught up in bowing down to these worthless idols, these things that we think will answer us, that will place purpose into our lives, that will give us meaning, that will give us a sense of self-worth. And what Habakkuk is calling us to do is to remember who God is. He's in charge. He's in control. When we approach him in order to hear from him, he speaks. We get to hear from him. And the mere fact that we are a part of a religion where we can interact with the God himself, the God who made us, the God who loves us so much that he knows the number of hairs even on our head, that's a privilege. 
That's something that not many other religions get to boast. That's one of the most beautiful things about Christianity is not just the fact that we feel like we have to work our way up to the mountaintop to interact with God. No, folks, God came down the mountain to you. He made himself available to all of us. I love this. This was also from the, the New Bible commentary on verse 20. It talks about that the earth, let the earth be silent before him. This silence is not of inanimate objects, but of awe-filled worshipers faced with the true living God rather than with false, dead, and death-bringing idols. Not only Israel, but all of creation will be struck speechless in the presence of this God. And so as we've gone through this uh, passage of Scripture tonight, I hope that you've been able to learn something about how we can read Scripture, about how we can apply Scripture to our lives. And if something hit kind of heavy, listen, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that gets hit, right? If you feel like you're barking a little bit, I'm sorry, that's not the intent. But if you are barking a little bit inside, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work within you, and that's a good thing. Because that means your heart is listening to God. It's alive, and he's able to speak to it. And so for all of us, that's the challenge. This was convicting, by the way, to write this. This was challenging for me as I go through it, and I just see the ways that I fail myself. It's humbling, isn't it? But here's the good news. We serve a Jesus who loves us so much that he receives us even in our weakness and he gives us opportunities just day in and day out to repent. That we can change our lives. We get to make that decision. And so that's the challenge. If something stings a little bit as you've been thinking through these questions, I'm going to challenge you through this week. Pray about that. Ask God to speak to you about that. Let him challenge you and continue that process of challenging you. Because there's something that he wants to work out within you. And that process is, is meant to make you more like his son, Jesus. He wants to help you become more holy the way that he is holy. And that's a good thing. That's a thing that we all want. Because when we have that, that's where we find purpose. That's where you're going to find your life has meaning. That's where you're going to find your identity. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for this little book in the Bible called Habakkuk, for this faithful prophet who was willing to challenge you, to ask you tough questions, and he was willing to record the message that you gave him, and that you're able to use these words, gosh, 2,500 years later in such a way that it can impact all of us, and it can speak to all of us. But my prayer tonight, God, is that... Uh, we would allow it to speak to us. Sometimes it's hard to look into scripture and to be called out by your word in ways that may not be comfortable. And yet when that happens, God, again, it's, it's because you love us and because you want us to live this holy life. You want us to live a life that brings glory to you because you recognize that if we're faithful to live that life, that's where we're gonna find true joy. That's where we're going to find satisfaction. That's where we're going to find happiness. That's where we're going to find our identity. That's where we're going to find everything that we need to live the abundant life that you've promised us. And so, God, would you stir something within the heart of every single person that's in this room in the name of Jesus, that this week, during this week, 
they would carve out the time, that if there's something that stood out to them tonight, that they would let you just continue to speak into that area of their life. God, we belong to you. We're your children. And so when you do come down on us sometimes, it's because you love us and because you want us to live the healthiest life we can. You want your children to experience the fullness of joy that can only come from knowing Jesus. And so for those in the room who may not know you tonight, would you extend that invitation to them to receive the gift of eternal life that you have for all of us if we would put our faith, our hope, our trust in you and declare that you are the Lord of our lives. And if there's someone here who hasn't done that yet, God, would you just place it on their heart to want to know more so that they could come to Jack, that they could come to me uh, tonight, that we could have a conversation about what that looks like because that's where the best life is. That's where the fullness of life is. And we want that for all people who are here. And for those of us who may have fallen short in these areas, would you just give us the grace to repent, to confess that to you tonight, right now, and know that you're so good and so loving that you're not here scowling at us, ready to rebuke us, but you wanna receive us in open arms and you wanna embrace us. And you just wanna say, come home, child been waiting for you. I've been waiting for this moment so that I could speak into your life what you need to hear to bring you the healing, to bring you the wholeness, or to, to build up this aspect of your character so that you can live your life for my glory. So God, would you just continue to move tonight? Not just as we've worshiped in song, not just as we've worshiped in the word, but as we step out of this place and go back to our weeks. God, would this holy moment continue for us? Would we continue to seek to hear your voice? We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we continue to worship tonight?
That is who he is. All the time. Every time. That's the beauty, I think, of what Habakkuk captures, what God does in and through his story, is that, yes, it's, it's a mess at times. Yes, it stinks at times. And yet God is always at work. He's at work in your life. He's at work in this city. And we get to join him, and we get to see it, and we get to call out for it when we need it more, and we need to see it more. And so, friends, uh, that's the journey we're on, is to see God at work and to join him in that, to be a part of that, not only here at Elements, but at New City. Thank you all for being here tonight with us. We've got a great friendship and partnership with you, City, and I'm excited to, to say, like, in, in a couple weeks, we're going to do an actual worship night, August 1st, 2nd, whatever that Sunday is, uh, and uh, you won't want to miss it. We've got people from, some from your team and our team, and we're going to have a great night of worship. Uh, you won't have to listen to me preach, which is awesome. Uh, so we're going to have a great night. I'll worship in a couple weeks. Next week, we'll wrap up Habakkuk series. We've got a special beginning, so don't miss the beginning uh, next week as we kind of pause to remember and to honor. Uh, and uh, we'll unpack all of that next week and kind of a cool initiative that we want to start uh, coming out of that. So don't miss, don't be late next week. Make sense? I think I've pitched that enough. Okay. Uh, thank you to all of you who partner with us in giving around here. We don't pass a plate. We've got a couple boxes in the back. Most folks give online or through the app. You could do that if you wish. You, you kind of call Elements a part of your home. If you want to order T-shirts, this is the, let's see, next Sunday is the last Sunday for the pre-order. We're going to order a bunch. You can do that right in the app. Scroll down like six or seven tiles. You'll see it. You could do that, and we'll get it ordered for you. And so may you know deep down in your heart and in your bones that God is always at work in your life and through your life. So your job is just getting started. You've been at church, but hello, you get to go be the church now, okay? So we'll see you back next Sunday. If you went prayer tonight, if uh, kind of God moved your heart, uh, myself and Kevin will be down front. If you're brand new, the 10-minute party, meet Lyle there. Have a great week, friends. God bless.